how does this all work out? It probably goes to winter testing from here, to be honest. Hello and welcome to the first ever XL Sports Network podcast. Now, this has felt like a really good thing to do for a while for us. Uh, obviously, a lot of you guys will know me as Water Zero or Gareth Davies. There is uh, many names that people do call me. However, it has been an absolutely phenomenal F1 season, and that is why we are here. I am joined by Ollie and Matt. These guys will probably not introduce themselves properly, or I will not introduce them properly, is more the uh, the thing we will go with on that one. However, we will run down the business very, very shortly. Where, where does F1 go after Abu Dhabi, um, and, and how how does this all work out? It probably goes to winter testing from here, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, well, I think it all depends on the outcome of, what is this, Mercedes now have 48 hours to lodge an appeal or something like that, I believe is what the last thing I saw. Um, mm. And then I think I heard today that they're most likely not going to appeal. Um, so that's probably the next question mark. And then... So depending on the outcome of that, if if they decide to not go to that wobble, then it's straight to the um, gala next week to actually crown Verstappen as the uh, the champion. A lot, just along with what Matt said, I think you know obviously you've got the standard testing and then the gala, but I think um, F one needs to take a hard long look at itself before next season, and it wouldn't surprise me if you have some rule changes going into next year. Um, if another, if anything like this ever happens again, so it's a, it's a lot of things to talk about. I'm sure we'll talk about it in this episode, but uh, yeah, a lot of things to discuss from us and F1 in general. Now, why am Matt? I'm going to go for you. Why why are Mercedes causing so much fuss about this in the first place? Is it is it because of Hamilton losing the title? Of how much money is involved with it as well? Obviously, I'm asking you very specific questions, which you might not have the answers to. But is it an accumulation of things, or so? There's a couple of reasons I believe that they're doing this. Um, so the money, the money all comes from the constructors. Um, so you might have heard if you watched an interview with Christian Horner that they asked him which championship he would rather win. And he said, the constructors is where the money is, but the drivers is where the prestige is. Because a lot of people remember in, uh, what was it, 95 or something, Damon Hill was champion, but nobody remembers who was constructors champion that year. So that's that's part of the reason it's the prestige. And I think the other reason, more importantly, is if they said, no, we're not investigating this, at all, or oh, sorry, we're not appealing the decision or doing anything. I think whether they appeal or not shows a lot of public opinion. Uh, sorry, changes a lot of public opinion on what actually happened. Because if you like looked on social media or or whatever, you you see a lot of people commenting on the race who aren't usually F one fans. They tuned in to see the uh, the prestige of the you know two title uh, contenders going in le- level on points tuned in for that story and whether they appeal or not the people who don't really know formula one they think oh they're 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 appealing this that was probably wrong what they did or, or it could be wrong they didn't appeal it they'd be like oh well you know they might they might have actually it looked a bit weird but it might actually be right what they did 
So I think, and as well along with that, like as unlikely, and I'm pretty sure even if the appeal did um, go in and it did get accepted, they probably wouldn't change any of the race results. God knows what can happen. I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But say, for example, if, if, you know, for argument's sake, they did change the race results, they then have a driver who is the most decorated racing driver in the world. Like that will send any PR team um, mental. Um, so that's the other thing you get with that as well. You have the driver who's won the most ever world championships. It, it seems like, you know, the FIA really were in a, a win-win situation no matter who won the championship this season because first ever Dutch F1 champion or the most, like you said, the most ever from a driver in a in a, in a career. Uh, Ollie, I'm going to head to you if you're still with us on this one. And the way it all panned out at the end... Did Hamilton deserve to win the race? I think is the best thing I need to ask, or the, the the important question I need to ask. I think he deserved to win the race. He, he, well, he was very obviously quicker on circuit. We saw that throughout the Grand Prix. Um, you know, even on the on harder tyres, he was setting fastest laps. So on track, you could say he deserved it. And I mean, my opinion, he's been almost shafted. Um, someone said Mercedes were three 0 up, and then the ref decided the next goal is, wins the game. Um, uh, in in if we wouldn't put it in football uh, football context, um, and you know, so Max got the win in the end. But yeah, I think Lewis did deserve the win today. Um, but you could say, you know, it's it's a it's a toss-up between who deserves the title. You know, we could talk about that till the cows come home, really. Um, but if you if you if you isolate this race as one race, I think Lewis does deserve it. Now, not to to be a skeptic here, but if he deserved to win the title at, on the last race, surely that means uh, the the sorry, if he deserved to win the race when they're equal at the end, a lot of people will think that he deserves to win the title. Now, that's not always the case, like you've said. There has been moments throughout the season where both drivers have had the harsh end of the the stick from the stewards. Now, both drivers throughout the season have said that the stewards are out to get them. I don't believe that is fully correct. As as awful as the decision was on Sunday, there is a there was a there has been a, a president set this season where they're trying to let the drivers race. And I don't think fully that it's the best way to dis, to, to let this, the, the pinnacle of motorsports. I think there's something with, you know, a lot of people are forgetting. This is meant to be the pinnacle of motorsport. And while, yes, we want racing, we want action, sometimes, sometimes it goes too far. So I... <laughs> I will say I don't think I'm pretty sure there is no bias inside of the FIA. Like it, the, it just doesn't like every throughout the season you can pick and choose your moments where one driver's either got shafted and the other driver's got shafted. I don't, I don't think there's any bias, and I don't think there's definitely no bias towards Hamilton because of this. Uh, what happened at the end of the race? I think Hamilton was just wrong place, wrong time. Mm-hmm. It, they wanted to have. They didn't want a season where um, they're, you know, they had such an incredible season 
action throughout the whole way and they didn't want the final race to end under the safety car because it's just a massive anti-climax mm. so they wanted it to and like i said hamilton was just unfortunate that he was leading the race at the time and he was on 40 lap old hards and uh, uh, yeah going back to your point of um hamilton deserved to win the races did he deserve to win the championship i think a championship where it's been so close throughout the whole year level on points down to the half point going into the final race it was more than likely going to get decided by some lucky factor there's always luck in motor racing it's inherent in the sport when you go racing with a combustion engine in the back of your car you there is luck involved with that um, and there always will be luck. And sometimes uh, Lady Luck just isn't on your side like it wasn't on Hamilton's side at the end of that race. Now, I don't want to just talk about these two. Obviously, this is a, a huge, huge point. Uh, Lewis, Max, it's what the final race was down to. We've spoken about not wanting the race to, to finish under the safety car. Completely agree with this. But why wasn't a red flag called and positions reset because they allowed certain drivers to go past but they, they didn't allow Carlos you know to have a have a go at anyone he was finishing third and in the end had to fight off uh, Yuki Tsunoda from behind at this mm. point I think that's what Mercedes are, are, are saying is Max might have had a poorer start or getaway from the from the green flag or to to go get racing again and instead of fully focusing on the car up front, you've got that car behind. Is is that a mistake by the FIA? Did they even think about that? Well, I, I think me and Matt and I discussed this pre-pod, and when Latifi crashed, we were you know, we had the chat about should it be a red flag or should it be a safety car, etc. Uh, and we compared it to some of the other races where we have had red flags. And recently, uh, Jeddah and uh, Imola, we had red red flags. And in those both occasions, there was debris littered across the track. So the drivers couldn't go through um, that debris and potential damage. While at Abu Dhabi, Latifi was on the far right of that corner. And there wasn't much debris on the left, so the cars could still go through. I mean, from looking at it from a you know from a, an F1 fan's point of view, ideally you'd want all the cars to come in so we sort all the overlapping and they could all go on fresh tyres so we could have a, a sprint at the end, you know, a three-lap sprint. But unfortunately, motor, motorsport doesn't always work um, in that way. And like you mentioned, it messed up with Carlos and Carlos had to defend right at the end from from Snowder, who also could have got a, a podium on top of that. So it's all a bit of a bit of a farce there. And you know, I'm sure Matt has got comments on this as well but it, it's it's all a bit of a it, it puts the, the the fa into a bit of you know it puts a well, it puts a sport into a, into disrepute really and with the way they they handled the last bit exactly yeah i think the red flag thing is all well and good on paper but it is a bit more hindsight than anything else mm. because if you think it was such a late decision for them to actually decide that okay no cars are actually going to be able to pass like they were they they are told both Mercedes and Red Bull that cars are not going to be allowed to pass, so they obviously hadn't thought about this like proper race to the finish until the very last moment. And they were like, okay, no, we actually probably need to let these cars pass so there actually is a race to the finish, and it isn't just um, Verstappen trying to get through back markers and Hamilton driving around for a lap. 
because if you if you go with that, then you might as well just end the race on the safety car because it's basically mm -hmm. the same thing. That's probably why, because like at that point where they decided that the cars were going to come through, Latifi's car was almost behind the barriers anyway. So you can't really then just throw out a red flag because you feel like it. Just mm. not really how it works. They've they've tried to make the season more entertaining throughout. So surely that that's got to be a something that was on their mind beforehand anyway. And and to go back on to you know, something you mentioned that it was quite last last minute. Was it influenced by Christian Horner saying we only need one lap or it only takes one lap? Sorry, I'm mis misinterpreting his words, but that's what it felt like. You know, we got it coming into the hairpin that will now turn five of Abu Dhabi. And then those two straights later, the decision was given to let those back markers through. And obviously, overall, I don't think the team owners or the the team like toto and christian horner and you know steiner uh, i'm just thinking of other ones uh, zach brown maybe uh, they shouldn't be allowed to speak to the steward the main steward or the head steward or michael massey through the race because of incidents like this is is that an agreement do you think that should be something that's implemented e yeah so i i believe that the race director should be allowed to speak to the team's but the team should not be allowed to speak to the the race director. I think there was a moment in the race in the um, the, the first virtual safety car for Giovinazzi pulling off. Uh, Toto Wolf was like, "That's that's a virtual safety car. That's not a safety car, Michael. Do do not pull out a safety car." That mm -hmm. sort of stuff. There is just no place for that when it it, it it comes. There is a purely safety matter for the marshals coming on the track and the drivers driving around. There should be no influence. I I don't think it did influence Michael at all, but. Well, I hope it didn't, in the very least. But that there is no place for that at all in the sport. Mm. Yeah, no, I completely agree with with Matt. You know, we, I think, there shouldn't be. It should be a one way communication from um, stewards to the teams. It shouldn't be, you know, maybe certain circumstances where they could um, speak to them, maybe under red flag conditions or, or, or in another way. But I think it's shown this season because we haven't had it before where they've shown or that they've um, broadcast a team to steward audio it's the first time we've seen that and it, it, it seems almost wrong some of the comments they make um, to the stewards um, so I think that needs to be looked at uh, and how they can they can improve that going forward because you know hopefully um, like Matt said there's no influence of Toto or, or Horn or, or Zach or any of the other principals on Massey, but you just don't know. Um, and safety should be number one focus. You know, we've seen in the past some some accidents because of safety cars and, and other sorts. So it should be safety first, not thinking about anything else. Now, I mentioned somewhere along the lines, and I'm not sure if this is harsh or not, or whether you guys agree, Red Bull put Mercedes into check. If you think it's a, as a chess game, Red Bull put Mercedes into check with that final little bit of action fia put them into checkmate well you're you on about the pit stops and the, mm. the tire strategy so the the big thing with the tire strategy is when you're leading the race you are inherently at a disadvantage because you have the most to lose um you mm. saw it for example back in hungary when uh, we had quite the funny occurrence of lewis hamilton was the only car that took the stop uh so it took the start of the race and everybody else pit for wets the problem with that is you're you're gambling everything if you pull the trigger first while you're leading the race. Because if you pit 
and so the the person behind you doesn't pit, you've lost track position and you've potentially lost everything. So, for example, the the first round of pit stops when uh, Shepen pitted first, they did that obviously because they started on the soft tire um, because uh, Verstappen locked up on his medium running Q2, and then Mercedes did the smart thing when they just had to cover Verstappen. So all they so they pitted Lewis to lap after, and then that is all you need to do. You just need to cover Verstappen because you just need to stay ahead of him. It doesn't matter if he doesn't win the race or not. He just has to stay ahead of Verstappen. And they had such a lead anyway. There wasn't really a concern. And then the pitting under the virtual safety car was also a very interesting one. At the time, I called that Mercedes should have pitted Lewis. as It didn't matter if Verstappen stayed out or not. They should have pitted Lewis. Because I believe the Pirelli tyre range for the hard tyre was 50 laps. So staying out on the hards was very, very risky. And the other thing as well was Mercedes, whether it was Hamilton or not, I don't know. But Mercedes had the faster car that weekend um, in, in the race. You could see it. It was Verstappen just didn't have an answer for the Mercedes in that race. So they had the pace advantage. And now I think the, the other thing that comes into question was the allocated tyres that they had left. I believe Red Bull both had a fresh set of hard tyres. And I think Mercedes only had one fresh set of hard tires going into the race. And I'm pretty sure the tires they put Hamilton onto, uh, the first one of pit stops, were a scrubbed set of hards. So they didn't. So I think they had one more set of hard tires. Now, the problem is if you pitted Hamilton for hards under that virtual safety car, then he's not going to have the as big as a tire delta as he would have catching back up to Verstappen. So and the thing is, like you could have, like you saw a lot in the race, Hamilton could have overtaken Verstappen in the first DRS zone, and then Verstappen could have overtaken him back in the second one. So there's so much going on there. So I, I don't think it wasn't, it wasn't quite as clear cut as Red Bull outfoxed Mercedes during the strategy, because there's there's a lot of play there, and like Mercedes have, they they run millions of simulations over a race weekend. They they know what they're doing. Um, it might not appear that way sometimes, but they know what they're doing. So I think Red Bull had an advantage in that they had more sets of fresh tires and they were also second, so they could pull the gun and force Mercedes into doing something they didn't want to do. And a and a functional teammate as well on top of that. Yeah, that's another thing as well. That is a very that is a very because I think Perez, yeah, like like he showed in that race, absolutely phenomenal defending god knows and then as well it wasn't it wasn't defending i don't know if people picked up on that he went so slow in that third sector because he knew hamilton wouldn't couldn't be able to overtake him through there but he, he i mean he, mm. he lost hamilton like eight seconds in one lap that's just incredible that's teamwork for you isn't it and it just it just questions if bottas was up there with Lewis and, and Max and Perez, how much of how much he could have helped. And we saw how Perez just like you said, parked the bus on every single apex just to stop Lewis. And you know, without that, it could have been a very different story at the end of end of uh, the race at Abu Dhabi. Yes. And that is a very, very wise point. You know, Bottas where was he? Where was Bottas? But we are just going to take a short break uh, in in this and we will talk about the rest of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and our hopes for the 2022 seasons afterwards now this is part of the show where usually you get some advertisement selling or sponsorship deal we've got none of that 
maybe sometime in the future. However, we just want to continue on with the vein of, of supporting ourselves and pushing and promoting the other leagues that we're associated with. So the other leagues we're associated with run on a Friday and a Saturday night. They are XFR and PRS, respectively, between the two. There is also our streams, which is on a Sunday night at 2100 hours, which is the main F1 esports league for f1xl.co.uk. Now, we're back on to this subject of Abu Dhabi, and now we've spoken in depth in regards to Max and Lewis. And before we... Oh, and obviously that controversial at the end. And before we leave this subject, should Michael Massey retire or resign, I think is the best word to describe this, from um, from his from his role? Ooh, so I am not very well versed on who they start with uh, uh, the FIA, but I, I believe this topic was touched upon in the after-race reporting. And the think Brundle put it, was said, well, who are you going to replace him with? And they would have a lot more knowledge as who works there and who doesn't. So if they can't think of someone to replace Michael with, I'm not sure there is someone to replace Michael with. Um, I think it is a... It is a difficult. Um, I mean, for one, the job that Michael does is a thankless job. It mm. he, from what I've heard, he's one of the hardest. Like for example, in Saudi Arabia, he was there like four days before the race even started, making sure the circuit was all right. Um, it's probably one of the hardest jobs you could do in Formula One, because um, no matter what you do, you're going to piss someone off. Um, so yeah there's, there's that to consider and i think you can definitely criticize him for some of the decisions he's made but i don't think it's it's as simple as fire michael massey and put someone else in the thing um, is there is not solely michael massey he has a team of stewards who ultimately come together to decide on what happens it's not just him so i don't think people can solely blame michael massey for what's happened in this Grand Prix and previous Grand Prix, I don't think it's it's fair on him. And like I said, Matt, it, it's a thankless job, and he's going to piss someone else, someone off, regardless of the decision. Um, so to sack him, I don't think is the right idea. But I think there's questions that need to be asked of the stewards of the FAF at this Grand Prix, and you could even say at some of the other Grand Prix as well. Now. I don't want to 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 bring any sort of like health and safety in it, uh, because obviously they are there for the health and safety of the drivers, and you know they do a phenomenal job. But when health and safety fails, it's the managers that fall first. So while yes, in complete agreement with you, he's got a team of people, but it's also it was also stated with that Grand Prix that Michael Massey his role was is is able to override the safety car now that that shouldn't be allowed surely so from what i can gather from that rule is i'm not 100 percent sure on this but i'm pretty sure that rule came into place because of something that happened I, i'm pretty sure it wasn't always that case and something happened where they were like okay yeah we kind of need to give the race director control of this um 
because sometimes it doesn't come down to black and white that you do need some sort of common sense um, moving forward. Um, and although you could argue it wasn't applied in uh, Abu Dhabi's race scenario, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a difficult one. Yeah, I no, ask I'm, the tough questions. On, don't worry. <laughs> on, I'm on the same border as my. It's, it's a tricky one, really, and yeah, I'm not sure either. Now, enough about those guys. Let's get back to the the, the race because while that had a lot of the action, there was still an awful lot to go through. We we had a few retirements, obviously Latifi, Geo, Russell, but unfortunately we we weren't able to see. The legend that is Kimi Raikkonen finish his last race within F1 XL. At, oh, God. <laughs> Can I redo that bit? Uh, Come on, mate. Um, we, we, we weren't able to see Kimi Raikkonen do the last race in his F1 career. Now, you know, we saw the incident. There was many things being touted around what was wrong with it. Break by wire. Uh, I, I, I believe a wheel nut was mentioned at some point as well. Was it partly he didn't want to race anymore? He had one problem and thought, ah, that's, that's it, I don't want to get back out there. Or was there something fundamental wrong with that alpha? I think that absolutely was. I mean, you, you just have to look at the onboard. He just hits the brakes and uh, mm. I think the uh, the rear brakes decided to work with the front brakes, decided not to. And the car just pirouetted on him. And uh, at that point, you know, you can't go racing after that with, with no brake pedal. Mm. <laughs> and anything to add on to that Ollie or are you in you in agreement no I'm, I'm, in, I'm a, yeah agree with that you know for, from a safety point of view you can't just go keep on driving if you can't stop the car it's probably one of the most important parts of the car to stop so um, if that doesn't work then uh, yeah you've got to question the sport, <laughs> the sport. but yeah no, it, it's it's annoying you know, after a glorious career that can be had to go out like that. But um, unfortunately, that's racing sometimes. Unfortunately, it is. And, you know, as, as much as we want to see Kimmy back in the paddock, uh, I don't reckon he'd make a very good co-commentator uh, co or commentator. Uh, but apparently, if you supply him with a drink or two, he gets very chatty, uh, according to Jensen Button. However, let's let's oh. move on. Lando before, Norris. Before we move on, oh. can I mention something? Okay. Jensen Burton told the story about Kimi Raikkonen. I feel like everybody needs to hear. Um, it, it was uh, they went out partying one night. I believe this was when he he said when he lived in London. So it might have been like 2012, something like that. And uh, he said he he was out partying with Kimi. He was like, right, it's it's like 3 a.m. I'm going to go home. Went to his home. Open up the front door, and there Kimi Räikkönen was sitting there in his living room, and he has no idea how he got there, and still doesn't to this day. <laughs> maybe, oh, just maybe, Kimi should be the next James Bond. Um, Lando Norris, Lando Norris. I mean, it's what a season it's been for the young British driver, but he has been dogged by some reliability to tyres now. Is that his driving style or is that just something significantly wrong with that McLaren? We know it's had the uh, one of the, was it the engine tokens taken away from him? But surely that can't have caused this much trouble for them. Gareth, with with, with Lando, um, he has been plagued by 
reliability issues, you know, punctures galore. Um, I think it's a mix. You know, it could be a case of his driving style, but it could also be a case of that his McLaren isn't isn't as as reliable as as this, as previous years. But I mean, I, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I don't know what Ricardo's uh, reliability has been this year, but I, I think it regardless of if you take away those reliability issues you still got four podiums it's still been a fantastic year for Lando so I think you've got to you've got to try and ignore those points and just focus on maybe more the positive things that have happened for McLaren and you know positive steps going into next year as well leading the Russian Grand Prix for a long time was incredible as well and he had a really really solid season yeah he, he definitely did old Lando. Now I'm going to go and let's let's talk about just Max in general because Max Verstappen obviously the 2021 champion as it stands we we can't imagine it moving away from him but uh let's let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about Max and and how impressive he has been this season. Matt, I'm going to go for you first and Ollie, I want you to answer a quick uh, answer it as well afterwards. But you know, how impressive has he been? Obviously there's been some controversy about it as well but he has been phenomenal oh i mean the it's always going into the season you're it, the opinion around max was pretty much the same it has always been is that he is undoubtedly one of the most talented formula one drivers that has ever sat behind a wheel of a race car um just the, the the natural talent he has to just take a car to the absolute limit pretty much from the get-go um it's just it's just incredible um and yeah, finally, he actually had a car this year that could compete um, for the championship. Um, perhaps um, it was more the regulations that came in at the start of the year that really pinned Mercedes back more than anything. But that's how it works in Formula One sometimes. Um, and he, yeah, he finally had a car that could um, win in the championship. And he, he grabbed onto the opportunity with both hands. And I think... Over the course of the season, I mean, he was, I believe, 30 points in the lead going into Silverstone. And that was with his tyre failing in Azerbaijan. Um, so he just drove incredible the the whole like first half of the season. Absolutely incredible. And I think one criticism I often hear of Max is he's too aggressive. And I think that... I wouldn't say that as a yes. You could say that as a valid criticism, but I think the problem you're forgetting when you say Max Verstappen is too aggressive is you're forgetting he's Max Verstappen. That's like that's like saying um, Senna should have been more like Prost and he would have won more world championships. And it's like, well, you can't say that because Senna was Senna, and he always uh, it, or, the only thing he knows how to do is be aggressive when racing. That's why they race because um, they want to prove they're the best. Um, and that's part of what makes Verstappen so good is how aggressive he is. Um, and he saw it time and time in throughout the year when he would get just into the right position to force Lewis off track and he would do it every single time because he knew he could get away with it. Um, and then, and yeah, so he, he really, if, if it, if it had, if anybody doubted in their mind how good Verstappen was, then this year he, he showed you. Yeah. And, you know, we I think we've known from the stance he came into Formula One. Um, you know, he barely raced in Formula Three before he jumped up to Toro Rosso. And he's been quick ever since. And his pace is has always been there. And he's just waiting to have a car 
that could compete. You know, we, he won the odd race here and there, got podiums at, at track to the high high downforce. You know, the likes of you know uh, Monaco and and Singapore, where the, that Red Bull was more suited. But then this season, finally, he's had a car which can compete for titles, and it just shows his pace. And like Matt said, you know, he is aggressive, but that's his driving style and you know, we don't want to go off oh, race more like Hamilton or race more like Bottas, you know, each driver's unique with their own set of skills and set of downs, downfalls as well. And, you know, sometimes Max can be too aggressive and has walked against, worked against him in, in the past. Um, but this year it's worked in his favor and, you know, he's a, he's a class act, you know, I'm a Verstappen fan, um, but I, yeah, I can see other people's you know qualities as well, but it, it, it's great to see him getting that first title and, you know, at, at still a young age, there are, uh, I hope anyway, there's a few more in the locker room as well for him. You know, it won't be easy with some of the drivers still on the grid. You know, Lewis is still there. You've got Leclerc, you've got Sainz, Lando, and there's so many other good drivers on there. But it's, um, it is, he is a top, top, uh, top axe for Stappen and long may it continue. Now, Max is obviously we've spoken about the, the aggressiveness of him, but it's, both of you have said it's worked to his favour. He's worked it to his advantage. While sometimes might agree that it's over the top, but is that something we've lacked in F1? Okay, we saw glimpses, you know, of Danny Ricardo, such dive bombs. You know, he might as well be at the start of the straight and still manage to make a move up the inside late lunge uh, cleanly. But we've never. I can't remember a driver that's been able to be aggressive in Max's style for for quite a while. I I think it absolutely did lack it. So I, mean, I think you have to think back to, was it 2015 when he was in Toro Rosso and then 2016 when he was in Red Bull? There was that rule that got added. I can't remember which rule, but it was nicknamed the Verstappen rule <laughs> here to do with weaving on the straight and, and defending and like I think moving back over to the braking line. Um, and so that just tells you everything about how Verstappen came in and he really shook up the the rule book back then. Um, but that's, yeah, that's part of what makes him so great is he is, he, he just goes absolutely to the limit. There is no under the limit that you go absolutely to the limit and sometimes it's over the limit, um, but sometimes it's exactly what needs to be, um, needs to happen for him to win the race. And you look at Max and go, regardless of what situation he's in, Something could happen. Well, sometimes you look at other drivers, you go, nah, you know, that's him set. He's stuck in P6 or P5, whatever it is. Mac, oh, something, there's always that question mark because something could happen. And that's what adds excitement. And that's what motorsport's about is that excitement of what could, if what the, what's the word? Um, I can't think of the word. But, it, it, you know, what what if, you know, that Verstappen brings? And that's, you know, as a spectator, you want that excitement. And that's what he brings. I will add one more thing onto that as well. Is like I was thinking about the moves he pulled in Brazil and Saudi Arabia, and the thing that really came to my mind is like any other driver, I think in Mustafa's position, would have braked late enough um, for them to easily make the corner. And, and I'm not saying that Verstappen deliberately braked too late to like crash into Hamilton or anything. What I'm saying is. He, he he thinks to himself, well, I'm going to break here, and if I make the corner, great. If I don't, also great, because I haven't lost anything. Because mm. he could, like in Brazil, for example, when the steward said, yeah, 
that's fine. You that's hard racing. You can do that, and that's why he did it because he wants to push the the rules to the limit. Because if if you if you braked early and to like so if he braked where he knew he would have made the corner, Hamilton could have gone around the outside of him and that could have been done. So he thought, well, I'm probably going to lose here, but if I break late enough and then I have a chance of winning it. And that's the thing with Verstappen. It doesn't matter how small of a chance there is. If there's a chance, he's going for it. And that's what he did at the hairpin on the last lap. Just broke a little bit later, pushed Hamilton wide, and he secured the move. And you could say maybe he should have given him some more space. But if it's in the rule book, he he was you know fair's you know fair's game really. Now, <clears throat> spoken about Hamilton, and, and to be honest. Uh, not Hamilton. Oh, goodness me. Another bit I have to read it out. Anyway. So we've spoken about Max and how how great he's been this season, obviously with the contro- controversy as well. But uh, let, let's just pick up on the Jeddah incident on the on the podium. He, he walked away from not really celebrating with, with Lewis. Uh, and then we go back to Abu Dhabi. And while, yes, Lewis took a while to get himself composed and get him, and, and that is difficult, like fair play to Lewis, but he did shake his hand. Is this something that Max needs to go away, Ollie, and um, get back like and, and take a look at himself and become a, a better person? Because he is still young. Is this something he can mm. learn with? I think so. I think Hamilton is a far more sportsman-like sort of character um and we saw that it almost graceful in defeat you could say um you could see him on the podium while max you could say sometimes is still a bit of a hothead and we've seen that i think um it was it brazil a few years ago where he came into contact with ocon and you know almost had a fight in the pits when they were doing the way up at the end i think he does need to learn from that and i think that does come with time i think when you come into the sport at a young age you want to you almost show off, you want to show what you're made of, flex your muscles. And I think now getting that title, he's almost flexed it and he's like, right, I've, I've done it now. Um, but he does need to sort of take a leaf out of Lewis's book and maybe, you know, Bottas or Carlos, whoever it is, and, and change it up because I think it was a little bit disrespectful to walk off the podium in Jeddah. Um, most people wouldn't do that. Um, so I think, like I said, it's an age thing and he will that will change hopefully. Um, but yeah, no, I think he, he does need to not sort it out. That's the wrong word, but he needs to, um, you know, I think just develop. I think as, and I, we all do that as, you know, not obviously we're not F1 drivers, but you know, you, you grow and you develop as you, you, you grow older. And I think that's something Max needs to do. So Max is a very interesting character. And I think with Max, he's very unapologetic. He, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. He doesn't care what people write of him in newspapers or on Twitter. He doesn't care. He's there to win the race, and that's all he's there for. If he wins the race, great. If he doesn't, then he's just off to go race in his simulator, um, which is completely fair enough. That's how he wants to race. That's how he will race. But I think, I think I'm not saying Max isn't a, a sportsman by any means. I think he, he is, and he's probably a good lad, but that's that yeah that's max he's there to win the race that's all he's there for he doesn't care for anything else now we are going to take a little break again where 
now we've finished Abu Dhabi, we're going to go. And then when we're back, we will be speaking about driver of the season, team of the season, race of the season. And this time, hopes of 2022. We'll catch you in a minute. If you have enjoyed listening so far, then please do give any of the F1XL social media channels a follow because they're the ones with all the information at the moment. I will be live streaming on Twitch for the F1XL race on Sunday nights. They are a general Sunday night rule. There is an F1XL stream providing it's not Christmas Day. However, there is going to be more information on those said social media channels where you'll find more about the XL Sports Network channel as a whole as well. Welcome back, guys. Now we are going to discuss who we think driver of the season is. Now this is a really, really difficult... You know, We've spoken about Max, we've spoken about Lewis. They've had phenomenal seasons they've raised the game far above everyone else in my opinion however that doesn't make them driver of the season there has been some outstanding performances through there i will give mine at the end i'm gonna pick on matt first uh matt this is this is a really really difficult decision to make however uh, who's yours and, and why There is there is a lot of names you have to throw into the hat when you're talking about driver of the season for 2021. Um, I think you have to throw Verstappen in there because he won the championship and it wasn't in a car that was completely dominant to everybody else. Um, I think you can you can probably throw Hamilton's name in there as well compared to how he did to Bottas this year. Um, and a lot of people meme on Bottas for. Uh, not being as good, but in, in, he's put some incredible quality laps together in Turkey as well. He showed us he, he he is a really decent racing driver when he can get his stuff together. Um, so yeah, Hamilton's definitely in there. And then you get to the sort of midfield and back of the pack. So I think the one that springs to mind is uh, Pierre Gasly. He has driven an incredible season, always extracted the absolute most out of the AlphaTauri car. Um, And it is a bit difficult to compare him because of how much Yuki Tsunoda struggled, um, especially early on in the midway through the season. But I think regardless of that, Gasly has driven absolutely incredible this season. Then it probably is a bit of recency bias, but I think Signs is another one as well, purely for the fact that he, he that was his first year in that Ferrari car. Um, if you look at drivers like Ricardo and um, Alonso, really struggled, and uh, Vettel as well struggled at the beginning of the season with the lack of testing time um, before hopping into those new cars that they were driving, uh, new to them cars that they were driving. Um, Signs has done absolutely incredible, and I think he did have a bit have a wobble at the beginning of the season like I remember in Azerbaijan when he went down the escape road and locked up in the race and was like oh I'm just making these stupid mistakes um but he very he, he a lot he got he got to grips with that car a lot quicker than Vettel or Ricardo did with their cars um and Leclerc Leclerc's an interesting one because he a couple times like I mean he should have he should have had pole 
and he technically did have pole run Monaco, but he binned it at the end of Q3. So then he couldn't, he, he broke his gearbox, so he couldn't race. So, and then he had a really solid races overall to like P4, but I don't know if I would throw him in there for driver of the year. Um, and then I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if I can think of anybody else. You could argue Norris as well. Norris had an exceptional year, especially the first half of the year, with his his drives in Imola, um, and he, he was always getting the most out of that McLaren. And then he kind of, whether it was because McLaren kind of fell off towards the end of the year, or maybe Norris did a bit as well, apart from his P3 in Abu Dhabi qualifying. Um, he just didn't finish the year as strongly as he started it. Um, so I think those would probably be my picks um, for driver of the year. Um, but in terms of who actually wins it, that is such a difficult decision to make. Um, I think on the, the face I would probably have to go over Chapman. Just how you could, you would always say when Mercedes had a good weekend, there was always that question mark of whether it was actually Lewis doing that or whether it was the Mercedes. And I don't know whether that's just because of how dominant they've been the last few years. There's always that question mark of is it Lewis driving the wheels off the car or is that extra little bit? the Mercedes that he's allowing them to do that. But with Verstappen, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that he was always extracting the absolute maximum out of that car. And yeah, it, I think I would probably have to give it to Verstappen. Ollie, it's coming to you now, mate. Um, <clears throat> I think for me, um, it's got to be um, Nikita Mazepin because he finished 20, <laughs> first out of a 20-man grid. I think that's incredibly impressive for a driver to do, um, especially in his debut year. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Um, but in all seriousness, um, like like Matt said, I think there's a, there's a lot of names on there that you could pick from. Um, obviously, Verstappen, you know, win the title, 10 wins uh, as well. Um, but for me, I'd probably say Carlos Sainz because... He was number two driver in that Ferrari um, and, and he struggled at the start of the season but managed to claw it back. Uh, and as we know, Ferrari haven't been the best team for a while. Um, you know, not competing properly, um, you could say. Um, I mean, some would say even 2012 was the first, last time they properly had a title fight. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's, it's signs and it, it just, we know how good signs is. You know, he's a, he's a very good driver and it just, you know, We'll see what Ferrari can do next season, and I hope they're back up near the top to compete for wins because it just makes it more entertaining from for for everyone really. Now, now this is an odd one because I wasn't expecting for a driver to to now out and out win out of the three of us. Uh, but I will throw a few names out there first. Lando, I think, has had a brilliant season. You, you look at Russia; it's so close to his first victory. Uh, Imola absolutely incredible and, and I was able to to keep up with Hamilton for a large part uh, for a I say large period for a period of that race and do some some real good work there 
Uh, Ocon, I think he's had a phenomenal season as well. I've, I've never really <laughs> rated Ocon that much, but this season has opened my eyes a little bit. You know, he's he's had a great race at Hungary. Uh, he held off Perez, maybe not as long as Alonso held off for Hamilton um, at Qatar, but he he was able to do just that little little bit to help out his teammate there. Uh, a little bit too inconsistent though, I think. Uh, Leclerc, for a guy that's meant to be putting everything pulling everything out of that Ferrari I actually don't think he's done as good a season as he could have or should have or, or how people think um there are, there's, there's no point even though Alonso had a great season in his first season back I don't think it was that great uh Ricardo had a terrible season so I don't know even why I'm you know he's had a race victory and I'm saying he's had a terrible season and, and that's that's not <laughs> Not what you would really expect, and but I I can't give it to either of the top two drivers because of the amount of controversy that's led around those two. For me, it has to be signs. He's meant to be, like you say, he's meant to be the number two driver. He's come in and struggled the first couple, and then he's had fifth. Is it fifteen consecutive points scoring positions? And I believe so. Yeah, because he was going to overtake Hamilton or something, wasn't he? Yeah, it's absolutely incredible, just raw ability that man has. And Red Bull let him go. And that's, you know, that's that. I suppose that shows the class of Verstappen because it was between the two of them, I think. And and Sainz has come stuck around. Uh, obviously, McLaren um, had a tough season with Lando last season. So Lando was really starting to find his feet a little bit. And Sainz able to held him off, but obviously he knew he was going away. But he's come into this Ferrari team, struggled, and then outscored the number one driver in the championship. And I think people forget that. People were hating, or not hating on Sainz, because that's not the right word, but they were unappreciative of the work he's done at Ferrari. And, and overall, he is a really nice guy as well. Oh yeah, it's always the it's always the the meme, isn't it? That nobody really remembers when Science had a good result, um, <laughs> and yeah, he has driven. When you think of all the factors that come into it, he has had an absolutely incredible season. Especially how much Leclerc was uh, lauded as like this next generation of driver, where it was like you know there was like Leclerc, Verstappen, Russell, Norris. These next generation of drivers, and Science, he, he's not old by any. Um, stretch of the imagination. I think he's like, who's he, late 20s now, like 26 or something? Um, so he's not old by any standards, but it was like those next generation generation of drivers that were named, like these next superstars. And Signs was always kind of left out of that list. And I think he really showed this year that you really shouldn't leave him out of that list because he might not have the scorching one lap pace that a Verstappen or a Leclerc has, but over the course of the season, um, you cannot count him out. Yeah, I don't. I can. I agree with everything you said. No, I. It's. It, like I said, I. I think he could get a title, but it all depends on that Ferrari. It really does. Now, on the subject of Ferrari, I'm not going to give it to them. However, team of the season, it's a, it's a, it's an odd one. They they deserve a mention. They managed to like uh, claw themselves back to third in the uh, the constructors, so it's a it's a good season for them. Obviously, beating off. McLaren, but McLaren are the only team this season to get a one-two. So do they have a, a, a shout? Obviously, they were very OP in uh, Italy. Uh, Ollie, I'm going to give you the question first this time round. 
Who was your team of the season? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, like you mentioned, McLaren getting a one-two, the only team to do that. Um, while everyone else, you know, you look at Mercedes. Um, yeah, Lewis obviously right there, but Bottas lacking. Uh, Red Bull similar-ish, but you know, um, Perez not so bad. Um, it's a difficult one. I, I'm almost inclined to give it to McLaren because of that one-two finish they got in Italy. Um, yeah, there's been troubles there, but I mean, for me, McLaren holds a you know a, a close spot in my heart anyway. Um, from the win in 2008 for for Lewis, um, but yeah, I, I think McLaren for, for me. But there's plenty to give a shout out to. You know, Alpine have done well. AlphaTauri have done well as well. Um, and yeah, I think as a some of the teams have got to you know look at themselves hard in, in the face. You know, Aston Martin been very poor this season. Um, but yeah, for me. It's it's McLaren, but no, lots of shout out to Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari as well. So I'm very into the technical side of the sport. I love all of what they call the aero porn and all those sort of aspects <laughs> of. So I think this will influence my decision a lot since it is it is team of the season. And when you take that into account, Ferrari did such an incredible job this year to get that dog of a car that they had in 2020 and make it into a potential race winner. It, it very, very easily could have won Monaco had Leclerc not stuffed it in the wall. Um, and yeah, they did. They all would, would they use their tokens on the rear of the car and the gearbox to kind of copy um, Mercedes um, genius uh, wishbone design, but they, the work they did on their uh, engine um yeah, we don't really know what happened in 2019, but it was probably quite clear that they were kind of cheating. Um, so they kind of dug themselves a hole a bit in 2020. Um, but to then turn that engine around and really make that ERS system absolutely state-of-the-art, which really helped them in the later half of the season get that third place, you kind of have to throw them in there, especially like I believe Bonotto said at the beginning of the season that he thinks Leclerc signs is one of the strongest driver pairings on the grid and I have to agree with him like you look all the way up and down the grid there like maybe Alpine and Aston are the ones you can kind of exempt from that but you look all the way down the grid there is a very clear one number one driver and a very clear number two driver in terms of where they usually position and Ferrari is one of those outliers where it is either Sainz or Leclerc you can't really choose between them um so they've had an incredible season um McLaren as well have had an incredible season considering they were kind of starting the season with their hands tied behind the back because they got a bit shafted when they already had a plan to have the Mercedes engine this year. And then the FAA turned around and said, uh, yeah, those are your two tokens, by the way, have fun. Um, so they couldn't change our car at all this year. So to give Ferrari as good as a run, well, to, to make it so they, they could have very easily got third place again, that is a very good achievement. It's just... Unfortunate, Ricardo had struggled with the brakes this year. He, he, I think it was the trail braking he really struggled with, and the feeling on the brakes. Which, if if, if you know Ricardo, is it's all about him and his braking. Um, so that's a shame. Otherwise, McLaren very potentially could have had third place in the constructors. And then I think Alpine as well. I think had a very very good year. Um, their their chassis is the same chassis since 2019. They carried it over to 2020, thinking the new cars were coming in 2021. And then the pandemic happened and like, oh shit, now we've got to use this chassis again for another year. 
So I think they had a very good season when because they they moved their their air boxes from the side pods to the um, roll hoop of the car, which is why they had that really big bulbous part of the um, the air intake. And that meant they struggled a lot on the tighter, narrower tracks. But any track like Qatar, for example, or Hungary, where it was all about aerodynamics, they really, really excelled um, because of that that low center, or the the uh, Coke bottle area that they allowed them to have on that car. Overall, I would probably have to give it to Ferrari because of the the way, especially how constricted they were with. They would have had a lot of development going on in the 2021 car. And they're only allowed two tokens for their car to turn that absolute dog of a car from 2020 into a, a near race winner in 2021 was an incredible achievement. Yeah, it's a it's a good shout for both, uh, including Alpine as well. In there, you know, from from using a, a chassis that old is is quite impressive, and probably a chassis that might very well have fitted Daniel Ricciardo a little bit too much more than the other two drivers that they had. We've got to give a shout out to Williams. They didn't finish last. They've they've got better. However, how much worse did the other two go? They did finish eighth, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they they secured eighth. Yeah. It. I think the problem with Williams is when you're at the back of the grid, there's only one way you can go. Um, so that's kind of unfortunate. And I think with Williams that. It's very much about this next year and then the years after that with, I can't figure the name of the investment firm that took them over, um, Doralton. Was it Doralton Capital? I think that was the name of it. I think, they, I think they're very focused on the future. They weren't really focused. So I think they, were, they did little improvements. And overall, they had, a, I think, a fairly decent season beating Alfa Romeo when Alfa did do a lot of heavy development on their car going into this year. Um, so I think... Yeah, especially since Alpha had the better Ferrari engine this year and they had some aerodynamic tweaks with going to that slimmer nose design at the start of the year. I think Williams did do very well to, to finish ahead of them. I'm going to go Red Bull because they've managed to produce something that they... I won't say they weren't expecting expected to do, but they've got a title this season. They've wrenched one away from Mercedes. Um Obviously, Adrian Newey is, is an incredible chassis designer or car designer, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he he does it with relative ease. And when they didn't have that engine underneath them, they were still able to, like Matt said earlier on about Singapore, in those tracks, the Red Bull always seemed to be there or thereabouts. So uh, I'm going to be boring. Red Bull for me. I'll say my, my only problem with Red Bull is... I think they got very fortunate in the new regulations for this year with the cutting of the underfloor. I think when you look at what happened to Mercedes and Aston Martin as well, um, it was very much... It, it, I doubt it was intended. It was. Very, I think it was a very simple of, okay, how can we make sure that there's no tricky way these designers can get around this and they are going to lose like 10% of their downforce, right? We cut off the floor. Um, and I think it just worked a lot better for the high-rate cars compared to the low-rate cars. I think there was something in like Bahrain where Red Bull had only lost like two temps, but I think Mercedes had lost like one and a half seconds some or something like that mm. going into this year. Um, so that would be my only um, thing for Red Bull. But uh, yeah, other than that, they've had an incredibly solid year. 
Now let's move on to the race of the season. Now this is one of the most difficult ones to have our opinion on because there has been an awful lot of controversy. However, there has been some phenomenal races throughout. I'm going to be <laughs> I'm going to be mean. I'm going to pick on Ollie again first on this one. Um I hope you're listening. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so what has, you know, what has your race been? I know we joked about at the beginning, Spa. Obviously, it is a joke. Uh, but overall, what, what have you found that has been really, really fun race to watch? I think for me, I've always been a fan of wet races uh, and tricking conditions. And, you know, we we didn't have too many races where we had that um this this year um you know two that stuck out was, was Imola uh, and Hungary um both having red flags in those races and both having uh, wet conditions but for me Imola tops it you know it's a fantastic circuit steeped in history maybe if not for the right reasons but the way that race unfolded and how the whole grid struggled um uh, and it was you know it was a i'm not a fan of the the barring circuit which was the first race of the season so to have that as a second race it was just a just an explosive set of emotions watching that race it was like being on a roller coaster with what everything was happening and that's why you tune into most sport to have those exciting moments so for me it was imola um and like i said especially in the rain just adds to the spice that is the this formula one we were talking about this uh, pre-recording and when you go back and think about it, there have been so many good races this year that have just been absolutely action throughout mm. the whole way. Um, like 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 Imola, um, like Monza, um, like Hungary, Saudi Arabia. There have been so many good races. All of them, yeah, just an action throughout the whole way and just some major talking point that happened. Uh, whether it be Hungary, Ocon winning the race, um, Imola, Hamilton forgetting that you need to break a bit earlier on a wet line going into a hairpin. Yeah, Monza, Danny Rick winning his race. Just absolutely incredible races. I think if I had to pick one, I would probably go Hungary. Just because the absolute hilarity of the start of that race where Hamilton was the only car on the starting grid, which I'm pretty sure has never happened in Formula One before. That was absolutely incredible. And then the, the yeah, the drama at the start with um the Verstappen getting taken out and um then Mercedes kind of getting getting the strategy a bit wrong, although it was kind of like an Abu Dhabi situation again where they were at the front, so they couldn't really do anything. And then it was, okay, can Hamilton actually still win this race? And then, oh my God, he actually might be able to, but no, everybody forgot Fernando Alonso was in the race and that man is an absolute demon and allowed Ocon to win the race. And then the scenes after that race just made it even better with those two hugging each other in the paddock and seeing the, the great chemistry they have going on at Alpine. It was, it was just an incredible race. I enjoyed both of those. Um, Hungary was quite, quite phenomenal. Seeing, seeing everything unfold. To a certain extent, you could throw Silverstone in there. Obviously, the controversy at the beginning. Hamilton still needed to do all that work. Max coming through a, a few times as well. Uh, I don't want to give away the one that I'm talking about, mainly because 
Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Anthony Davidson who, um, or was it Paul DeResta? It was one of those two. Couldn't <laughs> shut up about him when uh, should be should have been commentating on something a little bit different. There, there has been Imola, uh, you know, as Ollie Ollie said, Imola ha- was phenomenal, and it's exactly what you wanted going back there. I'm so happy it's back on the calendar. Qatar is yeah, as a race. There were some interesting points through that. There was some, you know, I've mentioned before with Ocon about driver of the season. He defended really well against Perez, who had a superior, far superior car, and it was clear to see. But my, my race of the season, and, and it's heartbreak for me, because I am a huge, huge McLaren fan. For those of you who know, I'm, I'm more of a Danny Rick fan than a Lando Norris, but as a team. I really like them uh, and the drivers that they've got. It's, it's for me, it's a perfect matchup, but it's Russia. That race, just you didn't know with whether the rain was coming, if it was coming, how it was coming. Is it going to be wet enough? Those final few laps, and it and it could, it could have decided the title at the end of the day. Uh, I, I, we could say that about every race, but Lando deciding to stay out. Lewis wanted to stay out, but his team brought him in. It's heartbreak city for Lando Norris, but what an end to the race. But unfortunately, pretty sure it was Paul DeResta. <laughs> Just couldn't shut yeah, up about, oh, Max Max Verstappen is, is right back in this. And that's the way the luck has flowed. Max started so far back in that race and somehow fan- managed to finish second. And, and you're right. If that was the last race of the season, Paul DeResta had every right to say that. Lando Norris has just like half spun and lost the lead. That's what you should be commentating on. Anyway, we shouldn't be bashing other commentators because I know I'm not the best. Um, so yeah, so my even though it's like a little bit of heartbreak for me, Russia's my uh, Russia's my uh, race of the season. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I've, I completely forgot Russia. I have no idea why. Um, yeah, it was an absolutely incredible race. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember Russia at all. I don't think I was <laughs> probably Hanover or something, so I didn't watch it. But uh, yeah, my go and rewatch that one. Now we've we've done the main points of it, of of our agenda, so to speak. Uh, we've got one more to go through, and that is our hopes for twenty twenty two season. And now there is obviously you know, now Matt I'm going to be using you a lot for this one because there is a whole raft of changes coming to the 2022 season and I know you <laughs> I know you're a little bit more of the the technical side than I am uh, when it comes to this but a lot of teams this season have hedged their bets for next season Mercedes were one of them they didn't they knew this season. Maybe they do. They, maybe they didn't know this season was going to be as tough as it was. But who do you think early doors is going to be the team to watch? So a lot of being a lot is being made of the new rules and regulations for next year. As uh, well, the new car design, should I say, for next year, as it should be, it is going to be a complete game changer. But I think a lot of people are forgetting about the. Um, constructors standings performance index that they've added so for anybody that doesn't know the lower down the championship you are in the order the more wind tunnel time you're permitted now i believe this came into effect last at the beginning of this year so that is absolutely indeed these cars are 
designed to um, generate all the downforce through Venturi channels uh, underneath the car, and, and that's how they achieve the the dirty air, um, the like ten percent dirty air that they've managed to achieve for next season. And that is all completely new technology um, and mindset. They had it a bit in the eighties with the the side skirts and the Lotus, but then they were banned instantly. And although you have diffuser, the diffuser, which generates about, I think, at least 60% of the downforce for your car in the current regulations, like it is all going to be about the underfloor of the car and making that work in next year's cars. So wind tunnel time, I mean, you see it a lot when teams bring these, like they look like great big like rakes on the back of the car um, to measure the, the airflow of the car during like free practice sessions. And they're doing that because they want to correlate the CFD that they get, the um, comp- computational computational fluid dynamics. Um, so they, they model the air because, of course, you don't have a wind tunnel going all the time. And then it's not always 100% correct. Like a, like a simulator isn't 100% correct to real life. So they, they try and get the correlation going. But the wind tunnel is usually tells you whether stuff works and it doesn't. And when a team has more wind tunnel time than the other, that is a huge advantage. So that completely shakes the book up after you've already shaked up with the new regulations. So being able to predict who actually is going to come out on top next year is you're going to have to be prepared to make yourself look like an idiot because nobody really knows. You can make very good educated guesses, um, but nobody really knows. So it's going to be, I think it's very, very difficult for a team like Red Bull or mercedes to be at the front next year especially with the the budget cap that's brought in i think there's only a handful of teams now that aren't at the budget cap um like i know afro Romeo is one of them i think they operate underneath the budget cap um so with that coming in and the the wind tunnel testing times um it's going to be incredibly difficult for a team like mercedes and and red bull um to maintain their their footing and now i think a team like ferrari is very has a lot of potential to be at the front next year um they've had a huge after the disaster of the 2020 car they had a huge technical reshuffling um where how their department works and i think you started to see a bit of that in 2021 with the the incredible advancement they had and this is this is garen with them finishing was it was it six in the championship in 2020 and third in this year? They they will be fairly pegged back, but they won't be as pegged back as like a team like Mercedes will be. So, I think them that they are a, a likely favorite for for next year. Um, McLaren is is an interesting one. Um, I don't I don't know if like there. I believe James Key is a chief technical officer and he's never produced a, a, a world championship winning car although he produces very solid cars he's never produced a world championship winning car so that is a question mark that i would love to see answered next year um and yeah any team like maybe potentially williams could have a very decent year if they get their act together um with the wind tunnel time they'll have and hopefully they would have been working on this car for a long time <laughs> So they could have a very good year. So yeah, I'd probably say Ferrari is who I would put my money on for next year. Now, with all that information, Ollie, um, what is your hopes for for the twenty twenty two season? I know I haven't given you the same question as Matt, but it's 
in a similar similar mm. vein. Well, for me, I mean, I'm I not only watch F1, I watch touring cars and World Endurance and GT Championship, um, and in a lot of those sports, the playing feels a lot more level. And my hope is by having these big era changes and, like Matt said, the wind tunnel time and the budget cap it brings a field to a more level playing field, and that's what I think a lot of people want. We don't want to see one team dominating for years and years. We want it to be a competitive field. And that's what I'm hoping these regs give us. You know, we we could see, you know, it'd be great to see a Williams back on back on the top spot. It's, you know, I don't the was it Maldonado in twenty twelve, I think Williams's last win. Um obviously had podiums with Massa and Bottas um back in twenty sixteen but Seeing those near the top again, great to see. I know, I know they got a lot of hate, but Haas, great to see another Schumacher near the top. You know, I think all I, I care for, and I think what a lot of people maybe who are more um, neutrals and don't have a team as such or a driver, just competitive racing and good competitive racing. I think that's what. If if we can have that, I don't mind really how who wins or what happens as long as it's competitive and long as enjoy enjoyable to watch. You know. I don't really mind. Now, Matt, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. I know it's being picked, but what what is your hopes for the 2022 season? I think my biggest hope for next year is just closer racing. Um, the The technical team at the F1 is tasked with making these new rules. They, they gave out some figures that I believe um, 2021's generation of cars, when you're following closer than, I think you're two metres from another car, you lose about 50% of your downforce. And I think 2022's generation of cars lose about 10% of their downforce when two meters behind. Now, that's all very idealistic because once, um, you know, all these uh, 10 different teams get their hands on the, the rules and they start making their own cars, those figures won't be exactly there. They might be somewhere in the 20% to 30% range. Um, but they they can make rule changes quite quickly not in season but they can change rules going from season to season to hopefully get back closer to that 10 percent mark um so yeah overall i'm just hoping for closer racing because i think we got incredibly fortunate this year that um we had an incredibly close title race and there were some incredible battles throughout the season um and like race i think the thing that we're missing like the last couple of years when like Mercedes were dominating was say like France, for example, when in 2019 and 2020, it was an absolute bore fest. But in 2021, since you had two cars fighting for the lead, okay, yeah, they couldn't overtake each other, but they could do strategy. Um, and that's what kind of propped those races up quite a lot this year. Um, so we got very lucky that we had two cars fighting for the championship like that. So I think, yeah, it, a very base value if you just improve the raceability of the cars then the excitement of the races goes up tenfold so hopefully closer racing next year yeah i think we all want that a little bit while strategy has been nice and i think it's also you know going back onto the the max lewis thing uh, it's it's also played into Louis, uh, Max's hands, sorry, with the amount of laps he's led this season because Lewis has had to try different strategies to get past him, which has meant pit pit again and really battle. You know, I mean, we've we've got France and uh, America as as 
uh, testament to that, even though he couldn't retake the the position afterwards, you could see the, the sheer pace Lewis had. And if he'd got past that Red Bull, who'd have known? But, but I suppose that leaves us to the end of our first ever XL Sports Network podcast. Uh, I, I'm going to thank these two profusely later on as well as now. But final words from you, from you both about F1 2021 and F1 just everything in general. Matt, you're up first. I think we were just incredibly privileged, uh, privileged this year to to witness the the championship battle we had. It had it had echoes of Alonso Schumacher two thousand and five when it was that really changing of the guard um, where Schumacher had gone on his winning streak and Hamilton had gone on his winning streak and then came along the young contender to to knock the champion off um, off their crown. Um, so. Yeah, I think the the championship battle with here will, will will be the battle people talk about in the same sentences of Prost versus Senna and Alonso versus Schumacher and Hakkinen versus Schumacher. The, the, these sort of rival rivalries very very rarely coming along, um, and they're very much once in a generation type rivalries. So that was absolutely incredible to watch, and then there were so many stories um, throughout the whole year. And uh, yeah, may may it continue on in uh, 2022. Like Matt said, you know, we've been lucky enough to witness uh, a tremendous title fight this year. You know, obviously there have been errors with with cars, you know, with obviously the lack of overtaking, but strategy has been so key this year. And we have some fantastic races and some standard performances from um, other drivers, you know, Ocken getting a win. Ricardo getting a win and it's shown it's not just about the top two teams there are another eight teams racing alongside them so it's great to see that and I just like I said hope that coming into 2022 we get more of the same and more guys fighting for that title and yeah the sport's going in the right direction which is great to see Again, thank you both. Now my little tidbit towards the end is well yes that final race has maybe put the sport in a little bit of disrepute. However, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There has, you know, we've seen some amazing things this season. It's not the be-all and end-all. Yes, we don't know the full story of the outcome, whether the appeal will happen, whether it won't, uh, whether Max will definitely be the 2021 champion. My honest opinion, it's happened. He stays as champion there's no point changing it now. What, Whether it was right or not, it's not Red Bull's fault, so they shouldn't be punished. So we move on. 2022, how is it going to work out? No one knows. Pre-season testing is not that far away. It's going to be a jam-packed season, and I believe we're having 10 races in a 13-week period next season. So we're going to get more Formula 1 in a season than we've ever had before. Things are only going to look up. But if there's one thing from this season, though, it's the rules. They need to be uh, need to be adhered to correctly by Massey. Uh, get him a right-hand man. That is so we can trust, just like Charlie Whiting had. Uh, there needs to be that... Uh, go to between the two of them then I can see this working between the two 
I'm not going to make uh, like any accusations whatsoever for this. I know I've already said Max should be the title winner, holder, whatever you want to say. But I can understand why Mercedes feel hard done by here. Uh, just as Red Bull would have done and, and Max would have done if, if the race had finished behind the safety car. Massey was stuck between a rock and a hard place and it's never easy. There's a lot of hate for him right now, which is understandable to a degree. But there's got to be a, a line. Let's let's move on from this as a as a community, as an F1 community. Though that's it from me. Thank you very much on behalf of Matt and Ollie in this podcast, and, and thank you from the bottom of my heart that you've listened through all of this. We'll see you next season for more incredible action. I am absolutely sure of it. F1 2022 is going to be incredible. See you next time.